Hey, hey, another Friday, fantastic Friday. We've been locked in for more than 50 days now, Peter. Like, it'll officially be two months from me because next week, because I think I last stepped out for work reasons as such only on March 20th. Okay, I've been, I think, yeah, 15th, 16th, I can't remember the exact date. But yeah, I've also been indoors of sorts for close to two months now. Wow. It's been that long. <laughs> While it does seem like each day drags on, now when I'm looking back, I'm like, where the hell did the last two months go? It's so weird, right? Like March, uh, the initial couple of days felt very long, but April, April vanished. And we're almost uh, through the middle of May. We are, I think, in all probability, going to be locked in for another two weeks, maybe more. We don't know. But I think it's also due to how adapting as such we have become. I mean, humans were always easily adaptable to their surroundings. But now it's it's so weird that even though we are restricted to one place because of the marvels of technology, we still are listening to music. So many people are still producing music. And then there's the entire thing of uh, live streams and concerts happening online and Instagram lives and this and that. And I think it's becoming too much at some point. I mean, it's funny you should say that. Uh, I was up late last night uh, watching my first online festival or virtual festival, if you may. So Century Media and Napalm Records uh, put together this thing called Isolation Fest. And uh, they, they didn't really say too much, but uh, I was like, okay. And considering what all the bands have been doing, so I thought they'd like, again, this is me and, you know, being all excited for something like this. Uh, I was like, yeah, it's going to be like all the bands come on live at the same time. And you had like quite a diverse lineup. I mean, all the way from... Insomnium to Lucifer and yeah, there was quite a few acts in there. Uh, Hideous Divinity. The part comes with Hideous Divinity come on and I was like, okay, I saw the first band jamming in their uh, studio. And then Hideous Divinity come on and they're in four separate places all playing along and they're like a very, how do I put it, technical bands of sorts. So, you know, they have that clean sound and then one song into it, I was like, wait, this is all pre-recorded. So it's not really live, live. But hey, at least, you know, props for them getting the audio sorted and stuff like that and putting together a lineup like that. Did did any, did so from all these acts that you caught and from the stream that you watched, did any artist like pull you over or something of that sort? Not really. I mean, like they weren't uh, acts that were kind of, I mean, of course, a couple of them like, the first band based was someone I was checking out for the first time. I didn't like after I found out that it was like kind of pre-recorded, the whole thing of catching it right then was kind of lost on me. I could like go back now and check out which bands or check out the different things. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it just got me thinking that since like you said, you know, we're going to be a while before any live events or festivals happen. Are we just going to get used to watching something like this on YouTube or Twitch or whatever the next platform that comes up? Yeah, I definitely think that's already happening. I mean, look at how many of us now can't watch traditional television, right? Because it contains ads and you have to watch according to a program, a programming (laughs) schedule that uh, the broadcaster sets. Right? We want we want stuff on demand. We want to watch this episode or that snippet, etc. When we want to watch it, and we know how to get it. Uh, previously, torrents uh, controlled or torrents were were the gateway for you know why do you need traditional TV? And then of course Netflix and YouTube and the thousand of other streaming platforms completely came and changed that entire consumer behavior. I'm pretty sure the music industry is going to face that too. I mean, okay, so here's a question. Which was the last live stream as such that really bowled you over? 
I can't think of one because <laughs> a lot of them have been. I mean, okay, I, I'm being too harsh. Uh, the apocalyptic one was pretty cool uh, that they did. Uh, what special about? It it was just like the the way they did it. It felt like it didn't feel like you were at a concert. Concert, you felt like you were in their jam room with them uh, there, and it was just the whole way. They didn't like treat it like an awkward live stream. Like, oh my god, okay, I'm in front of a camera and stuff like that. They were joking around uh, and stuff like that. So I I just felt it was kind of cool to watch uh, them, and they I think they've been, they've done a couple so far. uh so yeah and of course uh, they're classically trained musicians who again became popular for playing metallica covers but uh, their originals are also pretty cool i kind of like them well if you ask me that question i would definitely say the first devin towns and live stream that he did on stage it um and it's not just because i'm a huge fan that genius of a madman Uh, went really out of his way to make sure the sound was great he did the fabulous <laughs> uh camera rig through his xbox controller which i can't stop ta- talking about um and i think it boiled down to not just utilizing the new environment that you're forced to do these kind of interactions or these kind of gigs in but also utilizing the technology that allows you to do all these things because let's face it um at some level because of how humans are and how technology works pretty soon you'll reach a plateau of a uh, standard quality as such that everyone will expect out of a live stream concert or out of you know just interactions on instagram live or twitch or all the other platforms and then again it'll come back to either the differentiators of vanity or of fandom or of pure creativity which is so mind mind boggling right like i mean we'll come back to <laughs> just saying that you know the devin townsen gig or any other band gig you should have been there for that because that music is so good and i'm a fan <laughs> no no i mean of course I, i i still remember uh reading about it later on twitter because i didn't catch that uh and uh, yeah I, i remember a lot of people i think you also messaged me about the whole controller and stuff like that and i was like okay and and then you put it into context that it's one guy doing all of this and he put out this great audio and stuff so yeah to totally agree with you on that i managed to catch most of it on youtube the first concert that is yeah and then i like i truly think it's also so weird that uh, um immediately after that even though it was supposed to be you know you buy uh, you you donate whatever the ticket money and only then can you attend the streaming within an hour of the streaming getting over it was up on youtube which is also the other uh, challenge as such that live streams etc will kind of have to factor in or artists will have to factor in that if it's online it's pretty easy to duplicate or pretty easy to uh not duplicate but pretty easy to just copy and share yeah that that's yeah. true i i think uh, the first time i watched it someone had kind of screen recorded it and uh, then when devin put it up i was like yeah, i'm not watching someone screen <laughs> recording of it because <laughs> i think he responded to it as beautifully as he could which was just okay it's already online so yeah here you go <laughs> <laughs> oh well i mean don't get me wrong it's it's great that people are doing this and it's great that artists are you know learning these new skills etc and putting them and putting good use of it but uh, I don't know I'm I'm already and maybe this is me being super hipsterish or super I don't know what do you want to call me but uh I'm already starting to get a little bit jaded about the entire live stream or the entire con- uh, online concert kind of a thing I mean I will check it out if of course if there's a band that I really want to watch but I think it'll boil down to how authentic and how it's weird uh let me just say that 
if you don't do a good job of it and if you don't understand what the medium is and the kind of possibilities or opportunities that the medium allows you then yeah i don't think any average then then yeah you run the risk of your live stream just being average yeah and i think that's now become an additional challenge right i mean first of all you had everyone uh, uh, fighting for space on a spotify playlist or a youtube playlist or whatever you want to call it now now you have to like up your game that much more but it will yeah. be interesting uh, to see because a lot of like north america europe is kind of opening up so what this brings uh, or what additional facet this brings to it would be something i'd look forward to in the next month or so i guess i predict there's going to be an upsurge in the sales of digital audio workstations of uh, home studio kind of equipment etc because yes if an influencer or a social media influencer is a viable job option at the moment then uh, definitely an online only musician is a viable job option as well and it's one that really doesn't require a lot of barrier to entry apart from um you know access to musical instruments etc and of course uh, you'll only get as good as the your fans etc make you but yeah i like um you remember there was in around the early 2000s or no in the mid 2000s there was this entire genre of youtube artists and youtube only musicians that uh, became really big and of course one of the leading uh, examples of that was rebecca black and her single friday yeah yeah of course so so here's where i'm going with this uh, that was possible because suddenly music producers realize that you know this uh, this is a new uh, time where anybody and everybody can become a youtube star because there's no barriers as such to being played on tv or something of that sort right so let's just make generic songs and get these people to come in record their tracks we have auto tune so they don't need to really know how to sing uh, we can just auto tune auto tune them to perfection and we'll uh seed get them to shoot a video which will obviously have x amount of elements to make it seem sort of appealing and boom you have a youtube single which does surprisingly excellently right uh i don't know maybe maybe you'll have musicians and producers etc looking or looking to tap into this kind of a market too there's already an industry of people just recording uh, or providing recording infrastructure for anybody and anybody who wants to come in and you know record a song or record an album etc but getting them online and making them do an instagram live and making them connect and making them popular online that's going to be a space which will definitely have a lot of um, maybe not money pumped in but definitely a lot of attention being pumped in at the moment and for the foreseeable time to come i think you've kind of captured it really well i don't need to say anything more yeah stupid friday morning rants <laughs> well if you're still listening to us by the way our faithful listeners which includes uh, i think one or two people only apart from peter and me then uh, i think let's just get on to what we have on the show for you today or the meat of the show which is an interview with a band called Sajona which put out a fantastic release Premonitions in May 2020 it's atmospheric black metal it is very lavishly produced and that's one of the first things you'll notice but it's an album that definitely warrants a lot of deep dive listening uh, time attached to it and that's because the songs itself are pretty good this one really bowled me over in that way yeah and you know it's strange that when i was like getting ready for this interview i said you know i know i have written about them before and for some reason it skipped my mind that they were part of my top 10 in 2018 and that to this was when they were still uh, on a smaller label so now that yeah. they're signed to napalm records they're getting a lot more 
uh, coverage and a lot of more people are noticing them which i'm really glad and definitely because premonitions is a great uh, album like you already said they've upped the game in all aspects whether it's song writing production uh, even their album cover i mean uh, <laughs> that itself tells you a change so i think we should stop talking at this point and we managed to get two members this time mike lam as well as uh, their vocalist uh, emilio so here's our interview with both of them and now with us on horns up today are emilio and mark from sojourner hi guys uh, can you introduce yourselves first so that we know yeah. whose voice is whose yeah for sure i'm uh, emilio uh, lead vocalist of sojourner and also lyrics and i'm michael am and i'm a songwriter guitarist piano um keys synth stuff like that and i do the production for the band as well um sort of yeah excellent so how are you guys doing today yeah all good um just uh, relaxing i guess uh, still kind of like self isolating and stuff but uh yeah day by day <laughs> yeah exactly so sort of taking it everyone like everyone's just taking it one day at a time at the moment you know the reason we're speaking to you is because of your latest album premonition but you know before we dive into it one thing i should put at the outset is it's really unique to speak to a band like yours where you know all of you are based around different parts of the world so at the outset how did the entire lineup come together and why so many different countries i mean uh, we know that you know mike both Lam and Wilson were in a band together called Undoing the End and also are currently <laughs> in a band called Lysithia. So how did yeah. the rest of the members come together? Well, basically oh. there was, um, uh, I had found out about Mike's band Lysithia uh, through a mutual friend. He sent me a link and stuff on Messenger and then I just decided to reach out to Mike and just say that I like this stuff and all that. And we got to talking and everything and at one point we just were like uh you know it'd be cool if uh we could maybe do something together at some point so <clears throat> after months of talking and getting to know each other we pretty much started sojourner uh together oh wow yeah and then the other members sort of um just came along as as the band sort of grew from what we started doing initially but, but yeah so it is a bit of a scattered a scattered band but we met our drummer ricardo he got in touch after we released our first album, Empires of Ash, he sort of got in touch and asked if we, you know, needed a drummer, and we did. So we got him. And Scotty's a friend that I work with, uh, well, worked with in my old company. Who's a yeah, really good friend of us all. Well, yeah. I think I Chloe mean, joined around the the beginning of it as well, like before we released the first single. She had joined in, and then of course uh, Mike Wilson joined for bass for the for the first album. So that's just kind of a quick summarization of like uh, everybody getting together. Yeah and you know the, these are one of the things about the wonders of the internet right you have so many different members joining in joining in from different parts of the world uh but just fast forwarding a bit i mean you know uh, in 2018 you all released the album the shadowed road and it was one of my top 10 albums of the year and again awesome. it wasn't just there was a lot of acclaim that you received for the album so did you feel any pressure during the writing and recording of premonition this was also your first album on a larger label yeah i mean there's always going to be a little bit of sort of pressure i mean every even going from empires of ash to shadowed road there yeah there's always a little bit of pressure of you want to do your best and like do better than last time but i mean it's not that the the like there was no extra pressure because we were on a bigger label this time it was more just we knew we wanted to step it up from shadowed road and um in some ways you know like we had there's a big jump in production from empires of ash to shadowed road so we knew we needed to make the jump up again uh so the pressure more came from just trying to do better than we we had done previously and um we're all really happy with the result but yeah the label didn't apply any pressure the label was they've been massively supportive of us they have let us do our thing and they haven't got involved so it's it's really cool of them and um yeah we we hope we did top shadowed <laughs> i must say congratulations on uh, premonitions it's it's becoming one of those rare albums that's uh, managing to capture the attention of a lot of people from the scene as well as the mainstream um were you guys expecting this kind of a reaction from this record 
I, I don't know. I mean, of course, in some way, when you sign to a bigger label, that's like one of the top in metal at the moment. And, you know, you know, they're like, their, their distribution channels and all this kind of stuff. Well, of course, you can definitely imagine that it'll get into the hands of people people from the larger outlets. But at the same time, it is still kind of a, uh, you know, a very welcome surprise and a really good feeling to see uh, all these people that maybe didn't hear about us before, like start listening to our stuff and really like it. So, yeah. Typically, if you look at uh, metal, the third album is the one where, you know, a band really nails its sound as well as songwriting. What do you make of that statement with reference to Premonition? I definitely think we found our, our sound even more on this album. I think you can see sort of a thread that runs through all three albums. And I feel like we definitely kind of refined it even further on this. And I think we know what Sojourner is by this stage. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's definitely, third album's like a make or break thing for a lot of bands, I think. All right. Uh, let's shift focus a little bit to the songwriting aspect of this. Um, you know, a lot of the songs on this album don't have uh, big hooks or massive choruses. Something that's mm-hmm. usually a staple of the genres that we can hear in your music. Yet, you know, the songs flow impeccably. Any thoughts that can help us understand this particular approach? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> when it comes to songwriting... We tend to sort of think of the shape of the whole album and um, we t- think of it in terms of dynamics. So rather than think of, yeah, like verses, choruses, big catchy hooks, we sort of think of it in terms of like, you know, the peaks and valleys of the album, the sort of journey that it goes on as opposed to just focusing on on hooks. So I think the way we write it, it just sort of comes together. It's, it's like just sort of we we it's really hard to describe. It just sort of feels natural. It's sort of, we just do what feels like should come next and somehow it works out. <laughs> that might not be the answer that you're looking for or that makes sense, but it just, something about the way it comes together just feels right whether you're doing it, I think. And uh, this one's for Emilio. You know, in the past, you've said that your lyrics and the music itself draws a lot from nature and fantasy. Uh, what were the lyrical themes explored in Premonitions? And was there any sort of singular message that uh, you wished to leave the audience uh, or the listeners of the album with? Well, it, this album was a bit more on a personal level. Uh, I was going through a really tough time during the writing process of the album. And I decided instead of drawing from nature and fantasy again, I decided to just go more... Yeah, personal, uh, explore these negative and dark, um, let's say, thoughts or emotions that I had during that time. And I mean, I write in an abstract and metaphorical way. So even though I have my meaning attached to it and what I want to drive across, at the same time, I write the lyrics in a certain way just because it's how I've always liked it as well. This is what I respect in, in bands, too, that I can attach my own meaning. So when somebody's listening to the song and reading along with the lyrics, even though my message is there, they can still interpret it to um, something that maybe might be going on with them or just their own meaning attached to it. So there's not really a message that I want to leave behind for anybody. Of course, I did express my emotions and stuff like that, but the best thing for me would be to for people to, yeah, just have their own meaning attached to the songs and just interpret it their own way. So, you know, at this point, we'd like to play a track from Premonition. Uh, which one should we play and why? Ooh, <laughs> do you want me to answer this one, Mike? Because <laughs> I know I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> All right, let's both go. I know. I think I know what you're going to say too. But you go first. Yeah. Why so don't? Gonna... Why don't? Wait one second. If I'm just allowed to have some fun, can mm-hmm. we? Can we have the both of you answer this at the same time? I'll count to three, and yeah. both of you say that. Hopefully, it's the same answer. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. One, two, three. Fail frame. frame. I knew he was going to say that, but I, I, to be honest, that's kind of my favorite too. So <laughs> it's a safe bet. What's so special about that song? Um, well, Fatal Frame is a song that uh, while still in line with like, let's say not the concept, but like the general theme of the album, you know, darkness, you know, sadness, melancholy and all this kind of stuff. Uh, the game, uh, the song is actually not based on my feelings. It's actually based on a video game that I've loved since I was a kid, which is Fatal Frame to uh, Crimson Butterfly. It's a Japanese survival horror game 
extremely riveting story, just amazing all around. And for over 10 years, I've tried to write the lyrics to it. So when Mike, you know, uh, pushed me to finally like give the lyrics one final try and try to really finally do it. Um, and he showed me the music that he did for it as well. I was blown away. So it feels really amazing. And, and lyrically, of course, this song for me feels like it was 10 years in the making. So, yeah. For me, it's just one of my favorite songs that I've written, I think. I'm really proud of that one. All right. So here it is. Here is Fatal Frame.
All right, guys. Uh, you know, a lot has been spoken al- already about the lavish production on this album. Could you help us understand this production process right from the very beginning? What was the initial vision as such? And what were the references you had in mind or kept in mind to communicate that vision to all the various uh, producers as well as the mastering engineer or the mixing engineer, etc.? So <clears throat> we've always sort of gone, we've always wanted the best production we could get at the time with what we had. And so, you know, each album's gradually kind of grown in production value. And this time we worked with Oyston Brun again, uh, who's from Borknagar. And he's got his own studio, which is Crow Sound Studio. So we worked with him again. And basically the way it works is my home studio is kind of the base of the band. Whereas, <clears throat> no, sorry, not whereas what I meant to say was, um, yeah, so it's always been the base of the band. So I'll record a lot of the stuff there. You know, Chloe do her guitars and send them to me. Uh, then we'll send the demos out. Emilio does his vocals <clears throat> and, and then Ricardo and stuff. And it all ends up coming back to me. And then I'll do quite thorough engineering. Um, I do a lot of work on the pre-production stuff before it goes out to Western. And then during the, the process that Western's mixing and mastering, we just keep in touch with them really closely. We send mixes back and forth. Um, and we just re- refine it until we're happy. But yeah, we are really involved in that whole process. And and I think production is something that's quite important to all of us. So we're not really into that whole poor production for the sake of it thing. So we, we do. We're always trying to get the best we can uh, at the time. But having this touch point of my studio being the sort of home base for it really does help because it means there's less. What was the uh, initial vision as such or the blueprint that you were going for? I think we use bands like, yeah, for a few examples, um, bands with really good production, like Borknagar, actually is a really good example. Um, Austin doesn't produce the Borknagar stuff. I mean, I think it's a fairly standard thing. A lot of people in bands, you don't like to produce your own band stuff a lot of the time because you don't feel like you have the objectivity. But like the production they have in Borknagar is a perfect example of the kind of clarity and crispness that we wanted. So that's another reason that Austin kind of got what we wanted as well. Um, so yeah. Bands like that, a lot of melodic black metal bands and stuff as well. Like we just like that sort of crisp, clear production, but we like it to re- retain the atmosphere as well. Okay, uh, you mentioned the pre-production. Can you take <clears throat> us through how much work really is involved in that stage? I mean, it's not just about selecting the right mics or the right equipment, is it? Is there no, much more to it? Yeah. Oh, there's tons. I mean, sort of. At the end of the day. If you, if you say we started recording the album in maybe June, I think it was roughly. I mean, I was still working on the pre-production pretty much every night until, you know, mid-December. It's like, you know, for every track you've got, for every single track within that track. So say Fatal Frame, for example, you know, you have to pour over almost every note of every guitar, every lead line, every rhythm line, and just make sure everything is sort of note perfect. And if it's not, I would retake it and I'd retake it over and over and over again. Um, and that's just a process for every, it's every track that makes up the entirety of the, the song. So there's a lot of work that goes into it. But yeah, I think it's worth it in the end, you know. Uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, all that effort has shined through on this album. And another aspect that, uh, you know, this record really shines upon or shines a light on is the mixing and mastering because I'm sure it's, it must have been a huge challenge to evenly balance all the layers and all that's going on here. Uh, can you help us understand what makes a sweet mix for you? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think one thing that we learned um, on each album, especially, but you can hear the difference between Empires to Now, are things like you can't you can't mix something clearly when everything's fighting for the same space. So like one thing that I did kind of learn from my side, especially um, is that in the arrangement stage, you're kind of, you kind of need to be thinking forward to the mix. So, you know, not writing a piano part in the same octave as the vocals and the guitar, just making sure everything kind of has its own space in the actual musical spectrum and its own octave. So that when it comes to mixing, everything's not fighting for the same frequencies. And mm-hmm. when when we adjusted the songwriting um, to sort of reflect that that sort of space for the instruments, the whole mix and master process, the, the mix especially, kind of shines 
a lot more clearly because you notice that these things are all fighting for the same space. And I, I honestly think that's the most important part is, is making sure the arrangement's solid before it goes to the mix. So yeah, when it comes to what we want to hear, it's, it's things that have clarity, things that have, you, know, you want to be able to hear everything. You don't want it to be this wall of sound, mushy mess. And I mean, we still have some a way to go with that. You know, we could we could improve a lot, but I feel like we have definitely stepped it up since the last couple of albums as well. We've spoken a lot about the production, and I have just one final question about it. As such, while there are a lot of reviews, etc., who uh, which have um, definitely uh, loved the lavishness of it, there's a, there's a small degree <clears throat> or a small bunch of people who are also you know comparing this comparing this lavishness or something to selling out, which is weird in my opinion. Uh, yeah. uh, what do you guys uh, say to that kind of a statement? I mean, I feel like there's, there's always going to be people who see we're on Napalm, they know it's a bigger label. You know, there's a lot of bands that are super polished and they're going to think that somehow our sound now had to do with the fact that we got on Napalm and Napalm came in and suddenly told us we had to sound but I mean, to be honest, like no matter what label we were on, whether we were independent, this is what we would have gone for. And I don't think it's so now. I think you're always going to have sort of the middle elitists that don't want you, you know, you can't be a like quote unquote atmospheric black metal band and have good production because it's offensive for some reason. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Black metal doesn't always need to be uh, recorded on uh, lo-fi hi-hat tapes or something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, and I just some people just like to get offended about that. So you yeah. win some, you lose some, you know. You know, when I got the press release for the album, uh, one of the first things that struck me was the cover artwork. Now, you guys have kind of changed it in a way, if I may say. I mean, uh, you've got a couple of figures in there, people in there, and <clears throat> pardon my language, but a metal as Owl. I mean, like, I was like, whoa, what the hell is this all about? So what was your brief uh, this time around? Because you had the same artist, Sebastian Luca Bast, uh, there. So what was your brief this time around to him? Oh, I mean, last time, last couple of times, you know, we had the castle ruin, the kind of atmospheric thing. And we just, we, we all agreed that it was like, we couldn't, for a third album, we couldn't do that again. Um, that would just be so, just forced. Um but then, yeah, while we were making the album, I just had this idea of an owl with, you know, in a forest. It was meant to be, a, actually, a lot of people think it's an owl. I get why, and I can definitely see why. But it was, the whole brief to him was that a statue of an owl, a giant statue of an owl in a forest with constellations glowing on the base that reflect the constellations in the sky. Um, and, like, to use, like, a bright, a really bright yellow color for the constellations and stars against a kind of nightscape blue and um yeah he came back with that pretty much immediately and it looked so good but yeah i can see why people think it's a real owl like i kind of think <laughs> of it as a live I, I think of it as a live owl as well now but it was most intended to be like a statue and these people finding a statue in the forest and having a sort of esoteric weirdness to it and you don't really know why it's there why it's got constellations at the base it's yeah, so it, it turned out different than the intention, but I think it's a lot cooler than the intention. And as a giant hull, like you say, it's pretty pretty fucking metal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now let's get both of you to weigh in on this. Let's start off with you, Emilio. Now, this is a personal opinion that, you know, over the past decade or so the, in the folk metal scene, there's a rise in bands who, that focus more on, you know, the image than the music. And for me, that's where a band like yours stands apart. So was this a conscious decision that you took as a collective? I mean, because we started out as like a studio band that, you know, wasn't obviously in the same place. I think it just kind of took that path just naturally because we weren't together. And I mean, at the same time, you know, of course, it may work for some bands, but even when we go on stage right now, we don't have any like, you know, fancy type of image and outfits or costumes and stuff for us it's just really about uh creating the music that we want to hear so yeah definitely music comes first for us um then again like i said you know every band chooses their own path and what works for them but for us uh we don't need the whole gimmick we just need a uh, awesome ass music <laughs> yeah i agree and i think 
I think the fact there were a bunch of people playing music without the pretense of like costumes and stuff kind of makes it slightly more relatable in a way as well. Because we are just a bunch of like idiot people playing games that just like to <laughs> have a have fun and have a laugh and get drunk and stuff. And I think that people appreciate kind of being able to relate a little bit more than having a wall of pretense between you. You know, Emilio, you mentioned uh, that there was an intention to keep the band studio only, right? Uh, how did the whole transition come from a studio band to performing live since you're based across the world? Well, it's not like we never wanted to play live. We kind of did have it in mind that eh, maybe one day, but of course being spread out and, you know, no real backing and stuff. It was kind of like, uh, you know, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But basically just one day we got an email from uh, from Joe, who runs a North of the Wall Festival, who was also our former agent. And um, he just asked us if we wanted to headline the, the pre-show to his festival. And we kind of just had a conversation of like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe this one time we can, you know, get it together and just, you know, have fun on stage. So it was actually just kind of like on a whim of like, or just, yeah, let's just, let's just pull the trigger and do it this once. But then after the, you know, right before that show was going to happen, Dark Troll Festival from Germany contacted us. And then after those two shows, that thirst just grew and we just, we couldn't stop from there. So it wasn't like this big, huge plan behind the scenes or anything like that. It was just kind of like an email where like, yeah, okay, why not? And then, it just snowballed from there. Okay. Um, again, this one's for both of you, and I'm sure you guys have been uh, asked this question a lot. You know, thanks to the pandemic and the lockdown, several musicians and bands are now faced with a reality that includes having to work from home or setting up plans to do things unconventionally for a band. Considering uh, Sojourner's journey and, its, and your story, um, what advice can you share with these musicians? How do you make a band work when, you know, physical jams with the whole band are few and far in between? <laughs> uh, yeah, Mike, you want to weigh in real quick? <laughs> I mean, we've, we've been lucky in the sense that we've never been a band that's been able to have physical jams, so we don't notice the lack of that suddenly not being available to us. I can imagine if we were a band that had been getting together every week to have a practice, and we all like hung out and stuff like every week in person. I imagine that suddenly being taken away would be difficult, but we're kind of, oh God, I mean, I hate saying this, like it sounds n not the intention, but in some ways we're like an online band. We all have to communicate online. So we almost, I imagine we probably got out of this a little better than most <laughs> just because we can keep doing what we've always done. Yeah, basically, we're a band that's uh, been in quarantine before the quarantine was even a thing. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. Yeah, we yeah. can put it that way. <laughs> what really is the kind of difference between a conventional, stereotypical band and this sort of a project? Does does being in this kind of a project put more responsibility on you know everybody doing their homework and then delivering ideas, uh, basically making your time count because you know, it's not going to be a day of just jamming in a garage somewhere and knocking a few beers down or something of that sort. Um, I think that approach, I mean, I think due to how, let's say, the band was born, um, this is just kind of what works for us. I mean, I don't, I actually don't really see us being like this band in a, in a rehearsal space, jamming and bringing out ideas. Not that I want to use like, oh, antisocial writers or anything like that. But at the same time, we all kind of just work better in our own headspace. Mm. Um, for me, when I'm like writing lyrics or thinking about vocals and stuff, I need just everything quiet around me. I can't have, uh, you know, three, four five people talking or whatever. It just doesn't work that way. And I think we all kind of work that same way. So this just, um, yeah, it just everything fell together uh, pretty nicely for us. And I think we just got lucky in that sense. So, you know, I do know that you'll had a festival performance uh, scheduled this month. But what's next uh, for the band? I mean, you know, live streams have become a new thing. So do you have any kind of promotional activities like those planned? Uh, yeah. So actually, on the day of the release, I actually uh, <clears throat> was hosted by the Napalm Records YouTube channel to live stream a speed run of Resident Evil 3 on their <laughs> channel. And 
Uh, we have some um, some pretty cool stuff coming out. Of course, we're still going to ride the promotional wave, obviously, and um, just keep you know putting out content, engagement on social media, that kind of stuff. Uh, show wise, you know, obviously everything's canceled right now. We hope to get back to that, you know, as soon as you know humanly possible. But for now, yeah, we're just going to ride that promotional wave and release little things here and there. Maybe at some point, like a full live Q and A, uh, you know, so people can tune in and just hang out with us and you know crack up crack a couple beers and stuff but uh yeah i think that's pretty much what's on the docket for now to just be out there be present and uh engage with fans and and media like that's something for all of us to look forward to and on that note gentlemen it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you guys thank you so much for taking some time out and chatting with us yeah no worries yeah, thank you so much thank for the you. interview really thank appreciate you so much, it yeah guys. yeah that was awesome thanks guys Wow, so this is a band that was doing the quarantine before the quarantine became a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, See, and, 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 and this, is, this is exactly what I'm getting at. You know, all the earlier rants that we did at the beginning of the episode with uh, live streaming, etc. Here is a band that is, it, it is relevant to talk about today because obviously they've been doing this already. But then again, it comes at a time when you have many more projects like Sojourner already existing and I dare say I think you'll have a many more projects like them of just musicians who are in their own studios or in their own bedrooms etc I mean at the end of the day wasn't that the whole reason how uh, for the Indian gen scene to maybe strike yeah. <laughs> true that, that's exactly kind of how all of that came together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But cool. It's a fascinating story. And again, premonitions and extremely cool album. I think that's all the time that we have on Horns Up. Well, I'm lying. We have a lot of time, but I think that's all the time we want to have on this episode. <laughs> By now, you guys know the drill. Reach out to us. We're at hornsupport.com. I'm at Asbani on Twitter. And I'm a trend crusher. And yeah, let us know anything, man. We are always wanting to stop and talk metal. Till the next time, horns up. Horns up. <laughs>